Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Today we have a special guest on the Sakara podcast, one that is very familiar with Sakara. We have our board chair, John Replogel. For those of you that aren't familiar with his work, John is a leader in the conscious consumer and mission-driven brand movement, and he has extensive experience leading fast-growth, high-performing businesses, including Seventh Generation and Burt's Bees. He's also the founding partner of One Better Ventures, a firm that invests in mission-driven consumer good companies. His newest venture, Take Your Seat, is a for-profit social venture company that's committed to diversifying America's boardrooms. We're so excited to have John on today. I know you're excited too, but he's just been such a voice of not just reason, but also inspiration. He's really been a partner in us as we think about refining and defining our mission, vision, and values. And our mission is something that's been driving us from day zero here at Sakara, And it's been so lovely to have somebody, not only as an investor, but as board chair that is equally invested in us manifesting our mission and bringing it to reality. So we hope you enjoy this conversation and feel as inspired by him as we are. John, we are so excited to have you on the Sakara podcast today. You've had a big impact on our lives personally and professionally in the past year since you joined Sakara, both as an investor and chair of the board. We like to start off every episode by asking about mission, which is so fitting for you. So first question, what is your personal mission here on earth? What are you here to do? Well, thank you both for having me on the show. It's wonderful to be with you. I'm a big fan of the podcast and I knew the first question. So this was pretty straightforward for me. My mission is to inspire positive change for people and planet. I'm a big believer in this notion of change, that we are always in a state of becoming, and the only constant in the world is change. For example, every day is a new day. It's all made up. And so we get to recreate ourselves and innovate every single day. A new day is a new chance to reimagine who you are and what you want to be and become. And so my hope is that I can live out my purpose here to inspire positive change for people and planet. And for me, that ampersand is really critical, that connection between people and planet. I'm a huge believer in the idea that you can't live a healthy life Mm -hmm. on a sick planet. And if we aspire to live healthy lives, we've got to care for this wonderful planet of ours. And so we have to see the change work in tandem, what's good for people and is good for planet. That is true goodness. And you've had quite an amazing, impressive career, very successful in business. And yet you have this strong passion for people and planet, this commitment to the work that you're doing. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into this work, specifically around investing and working with mission-driven companies, or what has driven that mission for you? My mission the way that I've expressed my mission has changed over time. So I've long held a bunch of different corporate roles, some of them with large corporations like Guinness or Diageo, which is a big global beer and spirits company, or with Unilever, which again is a very big global player. But then in the last decade, I've worked with smaller entrepreneurial companies like Bird's Bees and Seventh Generation, which has just been a tremendous chapter in my life. And it's only really in the last four years that I've put my time and energy 
not in running businesses, but to be advisor to and coach of businesses to help CEOs and entrepreneurs and to put my money where my mouth is, to use my personal capital to advance the mission of other businesses to do both well and good. So I formed a partnership four years ago with a number of very close colleagues. We have complementary skills and and we just get fired up of helping create the next generation of tremendous impact companies and leaders and supporting them in any way we can, which includes not only our time and our ideas and our experience, but also our capital. And so I just feel like I'm completely mission aligned through the work I'm doing today, which is really incredibly rich. And there's a wonderful philosopher named Buckner who said, your calling is where your great skills meet the world's great needs. And I love that. So I feel like I'm living my calling right now. I want to hear the story about Guinness and Spear in the Chest. So John, as I said, you've had an amazing career joining large brands and large businesses. You were kind of living that dream life and then shifted into this career of purpose and mission. What made you have that shift? Yeah, there was a pivotal moment in my life. I was 35 years old and I was incredibly fortunate. I I had everything I thought I needed and wanted in life. I had a wonderful wife. I had two kids at the time, two daughters, and I now have four great daughters. And I was president of a beer company. (laughs) I'm like, yes. (laughs) And so I couldn't imagine kind of a better world and future. And then I got to work on my mission statement. I had a coach who was working with me, and I can tell you exactly when it happened. It was a kind of a spring day and on a Saturday morning, and I had made an agreement with my wife that I was going to spend three hours with my coach from nine to noon, and then I would take the kids from noon on, and she could have the afternoon. And so at noon, my wife, Kristen, knocked on the door of my office. I said to my coach at the time, I said, Bill, I've got to run, completely understand And my head, we'd been coaching for three hours around mission. I had been writing and pouring over what I was here for. I gave my wife a kiss. I ran out to the car. The kids were buckled in the car seats. And I started backing up. And I looked in the rearview mirror. And I saw these four eyes looking back at me through the mirror. And I had a spear in the chest moment. It was an awakening like I've never had before. And uh, I put the car in park. And I realized at that moment that I was not living my mission, that there was nothing that I was doing that was going to make my daughter's world a better place. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was happy as I could be. And all of a sudden, I realized I was on the wrong path. I went back into the house. I was crying. My wife looked at me. She said, is everything okay? I said, honey, I've got to change my job. I've got to change what I'm doing. And we sat and talked and she was totally supportive. And with that, I, I made a pretty hard pivot in my career to align my work with my mission. I moved to Unilever. I got the chance to work on a powerful campaign called the Dove Campaign for Real Beauty, which really resonated. And by that time, I, you know, I was on my way to having four daughters. And I learned about importance and the power of self-esteem in young women and how much influence marketing and advertising could have. And And with the Dove Campaign for Real Beauty, I thought, aha, here it is. I'm working to the right end and right effect. And then I had the great opportunity to go to Burt's Bees and and lead a mission-driven organization and and build that. And that's when my world turned from black and white to color. I mean, it just everything lined up. and, And since that moment in time, I've really felt just much more deeply fulfilled and personally fulfilled. And, you know, as I said, I feel like I'm living my calling. So... I'm grateful for that spear in the chest uh, I had all those years ago. So are we. Yeah. And we can't forget how much time we spend, like how much of our lives are spent at work. And my husband has this great, I don't remember exactly what his saying is, but the sentiment is whatever I'm doing, like there I am. And we have these names for it, like work and play and fun or not fun, but really we're just there doing it. And how do we bring that almost like take away the judgment of what we're doing, but make sure that what actually what we are doing is what fulfills us every single day. 
Yeah, well said, Danielle. You know, thoughts become things, right? Mm -hmm. And we think about work, I do at least 70% of the time. And as we like to say at Sakara, thoughts become things. And if that much of our thinking is in work, then that work better be purposeful. Otherwise, your things, you know, what it becomes is, is hollow. And so for me, the definition of success is that fulfillment, is living a fulfilled life and living congruently with my purpose. And so I want to think and work on great things that make me a greater person. And so there is no separation these days. And so for each of us, spending time defining our purpose, I think, is really the first step on the journey to personal fulfillment and, and success. Yeah, I think that the Great Recession, for many people, it helped them redefine their definition of wealth and what goes into wealth. Is it just financial? And when you're spending your days just working for money and then your money can disappear in the matter of a day, is that where you want to be spending your time? Or do you need to make all of this money to have it to to do what in order to retire so that you can have more time with your kids? Well, is there a way that you can work and maybe you make a little bit less money, but you have a little bit more time with your family or work in a job that does fulfill your heart and make you feel like you are having a purpose in your day-to-day, fulfilling your brain, filling your brain with education and expanding your mind. I think there are lots of different ways that you can build wealth if you redefine it. Yeah, beautifully said. Storing your wealth in experiences and relationships is a much richer return than storing your wealth in a bank (laughs) or in the stock market, which can disappear overnight. So yeah, I think that's exactly right. Fulfillment comes through investing in others and in yourself. And that's the highest return you can get. Mm, I love that. And one of the the first things that the three of us really did together when you joined was work on mission, vision, and values. And it was something that Sakara always had. It was the big why of why we started Sakara was not a business. It was a mission first and foremost. Can you talk about mission, vision, values, and what you believe it means for a company to really live them? Sure. Now, mission, vision, values for me are kind of the first cornerstone of what it means to build a great business. And maybe we can come back and talk about what I believe are the four cornerstones. But the first cornerstone is mission, vision, values. And so what is that? Mission, quite simply, is is why. It's why the company exists. The vision is, is what. It's where do you want to go? What's your aspiration? What do those goals look like? And the values are how. You know, how are we going to achieve that? How do we create congruence throughout? And mission, for me, is the North Star of all companies. It's the why you exist. It's the defining purpose. I use mission and purpose interchangeably in this case, that unites everyone in an organization to a common end. And the facts show in numerous studies, including several from the Harvard Business School, show that purpose-driven companies perform better than non-purpose-driven companies. Uh, Just factually true. And so the future belongs to purpose-driven enterprises. And you ask, why is that? Well, there is a powerful focus that purpose brings to an organization that aligns. And alignment is such a critical element of great businesses. And it also creates the intangible glue. It's the oxygen that everyone breathes together. It's there and you need it, but you can't see it. But it unites the organization. And that's the power of purpose. That's why working first on mission, vision, values, I think, is the cornerstone of what every great company needs. Yeah, I remember Danielle and I talking once about how grateful we were that Sakara is founded off of a mission because we knew every day where we were going, who we are, who we wanted to be, who we wanted to become, why we were showing up. And we were seeing other companies out there continuing to pivot and try and find their place and try and figure out their products and what they were doing and who they were serving. And for us, we just every day took one step forward, one step forward, closer and closer to achieving our goal and fulfilling our mission. 
So really for us, it was putting that stake in the ground, you know, having that North Star for us all the time of where we're headed. So our mission, it drives the business forward. And for that, we've always been so grateful to have that. It's palpable to me as well, having the opportunity to work with you both and your team. The mission is really clear and it's powerful. And it's why Sakara has been such a well-received product brand uh, by consumers and such a success story is you've done a tremendous job of setting that foundation. And you talk about pivot, Whitney, I think it's really interesting. The pandemic led to almost every company thinking about, well, we need to pivot, we need to pivot. And those that were untethered to a purpose began to pivot without real clarity, right? And a lot of those organizations got lost. And what really defined success during the pandemic is purpose-driven and purpose-rooted companies were able to pivot successfully. They had one foot planted while the other moved. And and that kind of pivot created agility and flexibility around a core purpose. And and those companies have thrived, just as Sakara has. Absolutely. We knew our mission. We knew it. We could speak to it. It's what motivates us. It truly is what makes me excited to do this work. And yet, when you joined, if you asked me what our mission was, or you asked Whitney, or you asked our head of marketing, or depending on who you talk to, it was basically the same, but we all had different words. And I think the work with you was really great. And what words, I mean, here at Sakara, thoughts to things is something we say all the time and, and the power of words and the power of thoughts. So we did a lot of work to hone in on exactly which words we wanted to use to describe our mission. I'll go ahead and read it. Our mission is to transform lives, to give you the tools that empower you to be in the driver's seat of your own health to turn your thoughts into things and your dreams into reality, to live your Saqqara life. It's brilliant. And it resonates so much. And I remember you worked with us for a long time to pare it down. <laughs> so we, we have a lot of words that mean a lot of things to us. But can you specifically, you talked about the difference between mission and vision and mission being not inherently attainable, vision really being like what we are accomplishing. What about the values? Because I have to say that even though our mission and vision have always been really clear, honing in on the exact values with which a, you know, a company lives by was, I thought, the hardest. I don't know if you agree with it, but that was the hardest part for me. It was Again, we had 20 and honing it down. I think you ended up giving us five. We wanted six and you wanted us to have four. So yeah, can you talk about the importance of really outlining your values and making sure not only everyone within the organization knows values, but how does it manifest on the consumer level? Yeah, terrific. Words do matter. And I'm so delighted you pushed hard and to get the right language and to codify it, to write down the mission. Just as an example, when I joined Seventh Generation, which was a tremendous mission-driven company, and I interviewed a range of employees and asked them the mission, I got 10 or 12 definitions all in the same general ballpark, but none of them came out the same. And there is something really powerful about being specific, about being word for word. So at Seventh Generation, another um, mission I'll share was to inspire a consumer revolution that nurtures the health of the next seven generations. Really powerful. Everyone can quote it. We know why we're there. We're not there for short term. We're there for the next seven generations. Even though Seventh Gen is largely a cleaning company, It is about consumer health revolution, inspiring a revolution of health. So getting that framework right is always the first step. And I think actually it's some of the easier work and the vision and the values get tougher because the vision, you're moving from kind of what is a North Star and never changing. The vision is closer in. It's a what I like to call a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's what do we want to become? What's the fulfillment of our mission in a measurable and tangible way. And then the values are really challenging because you have to be specific and you have to be limited because people typically can't remember more than five things. (laughs) And you really want them to become ingrained within the organization and reinforcing. And so it's not just about getting the words right on the value statement. It's about 
what are all the reinforcing practices that will drive the behaviors that support those values? So what do I mean by reinforcing behavior? It means measures and incentives. It's performance reviews. It's conversations on feedback. It's catching people winning when they're leading the values. It's creating community around those values, moments of celebration, where you're truly in the moment and uplifted by living the values. It's about doing what's right, even when it's hard to do. That's the real test, too. I'm a huge believer that it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And having the values around remind you what the right thing is. And therefore, when times are tough, the values are most needed. And therefore, making them crisp and clear so that they become your default in times of challenge is really critical. And it makes all the difference. So, Daniel, you asked then about the connection to the brand or the consumer experience. And maybe I'll just go there for a minute, if you'll allow me. I've grown up in the consumer industry, and I am a huge believer that a brand is a relationship between a product and a consumer. And so when you think about a relationship between a product and a consumer being the definition of the brand, the root of that relationship is trust. And so everything that you do as an organization has to build trust. And in order to build trust, what you have to do is be consistent, congruent. And your values need to be congruent with your mission and your brand promise to your consumer. And the more consistent your organization lives your values, which uphold that brand promise, the more likely it is you're going to build enduring trust with your consumers. And that's the prize, right? That is ultimately the prize, building rich and enduring relationships with consumers and helping them. You're making a bold promise to help transform lives, to help people live their Sakara life, which means they have to put their trust in you to be a guide and a partner in that journey. And so everything you do has to support the consumer as they put that trust in you every single day. What were 7th Gen's values? We had, again, five values, and one of them was innovate disruptively. And so what we really thought about is, what does that mean? How do we innovate disruptively? Well, we were one or a two-share player in a very dirty industry, in an industry dominated by major players who didn't want to disclose what ingredients go on cleaning products, if you can believe it, some of the most toxic things in your home, in an industry where 95% of the shelf space was called for every year before you even had a chance to you know, introduce your product. So we had to play by different rules. So innovate disruptively was one. And we thought not just about product innovation, but form innovation, communication innovation, every form. And it wasn't just good enough to bring out new. We needed to disrupt. We needed to get outsized attention. That would be an example of one of our values. We had another value called be a trusted brand. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we actually said that to every person in the organization. We need to be a trusted brand. We need to live the values of our brand every day. And that needs to be a reflection of what we do and how we come to work and how we treat each other. And so those are two of the five and I could go on for the rest. But what was really important is the way we lived them and celebrated and reinforced them. So for example, at the end of the year, we would do monthly team meetings and every month there would be a value recipient. Someone who'd done an outstanding job living the values would get recognized. It was pure nominated and then supported by the company. But at the end of the year, we gave out five values awards. So one person for each of the values, again, pure nominated. And it was the most powerful moment of the year in the company. It was what everyone looked forward to. And it was just an incredible, there were many nominations and everyone got recognized who was nominated. But the winners then went on to be able to, we gave them a charitable contribution of their choice. And then they were then appointed for a three-year term to our foundation. So they then determined where the million plus dollars at seventh generation supports different organizations with each year, they determined where that money went and how it was deployed. And it was just so incredibly powerful and reinforced the desire for people to be recognized, not just to live it, but to lead the values. And so that's when you know you really have a symphony. Yeah. And I think one of the 
Well, I'm curious, what are your thoughts? The reputation out there is, can you have a mission, vision-driven company, a company that's reaching for sustainability or is sustainable, is carbon neutral, and still be a profitable business? Where did we get it wrong? Like, I mean, this is like the capitalism conversation, but where did the idea that business and consumer health and planet health, where did it become okay that those aren't aligned? <laughs> well, uh, it, it really goes back to this idea of fiduciary responsibility to shareholders at the expense of stakeholders. And that really had been the guiding principle of capitalism for the last century. I think there's been an epiphany, certainly in the last 20 years in this new century, that we need to do better than that. That that form of zero-sum capitalism doesn't work. It lends to short-term behavior. It allows the company to internalize the profits and externalize the costs. And by that, I mean things like the implications of pollution, of carbon, and even the impact on employees, right? And so we had an incredibly strong labor movement in the U.S., rightfully so, because corporations were maximizing value for shareholders off the back of labor. And the powerful new formula that is really here now is putting purpose, people, principles, and profit together, all with the idea that we're going to care for the planet. And so there's a new awakening. There's groups called benefit corporations or B Corps. There's some 3,500 of them today. There are new ones being created every day that believe in using the power of business as a force for good. And really interestingly, again, this notion that if you lead with people and planet, in the case of Sakara, great product, and delivering that promise to consumers, if you put those things first, the profits will follow. And that is affirmed throughout. And again, referring to the Harvard Business School, there's a great strategist named Michael Porter who says, not all profits are created equal. Profits with purpose have yield greater value. And that's the secret sauce. That's the true competitive advantage that companies that lead with purpose and treat all stakeholders, not just shareholders, as their primary duty. They will outperform in the marketplace. How do we get more people to see that and live that? How do we get more companies to follow along? Well, there's the classic carrot and stick. So, for anyone who's listening, everyone who is listening has power. You make hundreds of choices every single day about what businesses you'll support. And for me, conscious consumerism, making wise choices with your dollar, uh, supporting companies that you believe in, and holding back on those that you don't believe in, I think is a really powerful force. And conscious consumerism is rising every single day. So we've got the tide is coming in on this, which is great. There is the incredible power of people to make choices with their employment. And there are a number of studies done today that over 80% of millennials want to work for a company that has a clear purpose and is doing social good. And so those companies that don't do social good today and have clarity of purpose, they're going to lose in the talent market over time. It's happening. And in fact, it's going to be accelerated here with the pandemic. Everything's moving faster today. And with people working remotely, they feel less of a bond to the company they're with. I just read a study that says 26% of all employees are looking to change jobs right now, which is just unheard of. And so those companies that haven't cared for their employees through the last 12 months are going to pay a really high price. And so I think there's the positive force of conscious consumerism and kind of a new generation of employees who think and work differently and hold a different value set. And then there's the negative side, too, of what's going to occur to companies that, that don't make this move. And, and you can see that playing out right in front of our eyes. So it's a beautiful thing. My only concern, what keeps me up at night is, is whether we're moving fast enough. Mm. Do you think that we're moving fast enough? I don't. I think we've got to move faster. We, in the next 30 years, we have got the greatest threat to humanity uh, facing us with climate crisis, but not just climate crisis. You can see it 
manifesting in so many different ways, human health, the loss of biodiversity, the elimination of scarce resource. I mean, you've got rare earth minerals that are trying to be harvested from Greenland and Greenland's trying to stop that. And those are essential for technology. And so we are getting more and more crowded on this little planet of ours. And if we don't solve it in the next 30 years, I shudder to think what will happen to my daughters and and their future. And so I'm a big believer that our world's problems are our problems, and there are no problems that better human beings cannot fix. But we as humans can't do it alone. We actually need pace and scale, and the only force big enough to make that change right now is business. And so we have to harness the power of business, which I believe is the greatest force on earth, to serve us and serve our future. And so we need to have significant turnover in the way we govern and operate companies and move with pace and scale. Do you have advice? I think about our mission, vision, and values, and then what you're saying and the kind of space between the two so that as a consumer, as you said, I have a hundred choices throughout the day. How can I know that I'm supporting the right kind of businesses? I mean, I don't necessarily go to the About Us page on a website and read about their mission, vision, values. Maybe that's like a great first step. But how do you know if a brand is one that you should be supporting? Yeah, terrific. Well, I think we pick a lot up through our social channels. And you can often understand and if it's done with integrity, if someone's communicating with integrity and authenticity and transparency, then you can get a sense of the values of that brand or organization aligned with my own. So it's a bit intuitive, but it does take work, Danielle, as well. Uh, There are all sorts of resources out there that you can utilize. Obviously, companies, websites, and About Us are a good place. There are 3,500 benefit corporations out there. You can understand who they are and what they're doing. There are some great principles called the UN SDGs. There are a range of basically of these social development goals that companies are embracing. So look for companies that are supporting the UN SDGs is another way to think about it. What companies are making pledges in terms of carbon and and carbon neutrality and how far have they come? How are they thinking about packaging and packaging waste? What are they doing for their employees? And where did they line up on fair wages? These are all questions that consumers can ask to understand more and, and learn more about the businesses they support. It makes me wonder, if I take my consumer hat off and put on my CEO hat, it makes me wonder, how are companies letting people know that these are our values and where did they manifest? You know, I know you sat on the board with Beauty Counter and it's funny because I don't have a lot of interaction with that brand personally. I've shopped a couple times there, but I somehow know about them and I don't know how I know a lot about them, but somewhere along the line, like I've learned, you know, and it might be like the founder world or something like that, but I've learned that they lobby for better legislation on beauty products. And so it's interesting to me that the work that a brand does, it somehow manifests in the consumer conception of what the brand is, even if you're not out there with a neon sign. That's right. And For Beauty Counter, which is just a tremendous organization and brand, they've done a great job of continuously sticking to their mission and communicating, enrolling their consumers and the community to get behind them. So they've asked people to join them in their petitions and coming to Congress and changing legislation around toxic chemicals and cosmetic reform. And that just permeates. There's a certain amount that bubbles through other companies do a really nice job with stating their goals on their websites and tracking to them or publishing corporate social responsibility reports. And CSR reports have become a state of the art and great companies publish really great reports. Today, DEI and becoming a, a more diverse, equitable and inclusive organization is a core principle of great governance. And so ask companies that you support where they stand on DEI and do they reflect the community they serve. Those are really important things that companies are becoming wiser in terms of how to tell their story and the good they do in an authentic way. And we have to watch out for greenwashing. Happens all the time. And companies who greenwash run a great risk of losing that precious trust of consumers. And 
We see that happen time and time again. So those have tremendous repercussions if you're caught with your hand in the cookie jar. So we've got to do a good job of telling our story and doing it authentically and honestly and transparently. Mm-hmm. And now for a quick break. Today, we are thrilled to tell you a bit about our newest launch, the Metabolism Super Bar. As most of you know, metabolism is a very important topic for us here at Sakara, as it plays a crucial role in our overall health of our bodies. So many factors impact our metabolism, like our nutrition, sleep, stress, hydration, and much more. We created the Metabolism Super Bar to optimize your metabolic function, stabilize blood sugar, and regulate cortisol levels, all in one delicious bar. Each bar is packed with 10 grams of plant protein, 11 grams of plant fiber, plus clinically backed ingredients to help turn up thermogenesis and kick your body into burn mode. It's personally my favorite tasting bar as well. It has a chocolate fudgy taste to it, and I can't wait for you all to try it. It's so delicious. For a limited time, we're offering our listeners $15 off their first purchase with code PODCAST15 at checkout. So go over and get your pack of bars now before they sell out. And now back to the episode. Going back to what you said about businesses being the strongest force. Why do you believe businesses are the strongest force more than government and policy? Yeah. Unfortunately, you think about global organizations, right? And if you think about global organizations from a governmental or policy standpoint, we can only really name one. I mean, we named the UN as kind of the global body. There are some other organizations, World Health Organization, for example, and, and others, but they're really limited and their power is neutralized by various factions within those bodies. And so they tend to be reactive, not proactive in their response. And we need proactive leadership. So if you're going to think about this as a global crisis, where can we turn for global solutions? Well, you turn to global corporations. The top 1,000 global corporations have tremendous power. In fact, the top 200 companies in the U.S. alone have the same purchasing power as four-fifths of humanity, as the poorest four-fifths of humanity. So our top 200 companies in the U.S. equal four, the purchasing power of the poorest four-fifths of humanity. Now, that's incredible power. It's incredibly concentrated. Global corporations wield about $20 trillion worth of economic might per year. Imagine if we could use more of that $20 trillion to lead to better policy to a carbon fund, for example, and rewarding those who are making moves on that front or being part of solving social justice issues or human health issues. So we ultimately have to turn to business for that. And the good news is more and more CEOs are speaking out. You know, have got the business roundtable has now come out and declared their support for this notion of stakeholder capitalism over shareholder capitalism. And more CEOs are lending their name and voices to it. And there's a lot being written right now about the duty of a CEO to be a voice in more than just business, but in social policy as well. And I'm a big supporter of that movement. I think that is absolutely critical because that's where the power is. And you've got to leverage the power to make the change that we need. Can you talk about what you think defines a good leader in today's world of business? Asking for a friend. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. You know, I think my definition of this has changed over time. I used to think about it much more with my head than my heart. So it was about clear vision and good strategy and marshalling resources and making choices. And that's the head part of it. For me, the much bigger part is that clarity of principles and values and leading with people at the core of what you do and inspiring people to do their very best work and creating a culture in your organization that is second to none, where people thrive, where people can come and collaborate. And so I think the hallmark of a great 21st century leader really starts there. It starts in your core principles, in how you treat others and creating the conditions 
for cultural richness. I think that's the heart of great leadership today. And it's not about leading necessarily uh, from the top. It's about thinking about servant leadership as well, of leading from below and supporting everyone in what they need. And then, frankly, creating the conditions and getting out of the way. (laughs) I love that you say that because Whitney and I talk about this often, but it seems as though in the past five years or so, entrepreneurship has become the new celebrity. And though I think in a lot of ways that's good because it forces more transparency, it puts a face to brands. I also think it's made everyone feel like in order to be successful, they have to start a business. And businesses don't succeed without really incredible teams behind them. And I'll speak for Whitney and myself when I say like, we absolutely would not be here without our team. And so I guess for anyone listening that maybe is teetering and wants to start a business or isn't sure, how do you think about the difference between an entrepreneur or somebody that, as you mentioned earlier, should find a brand that they align with on their mission, vision and values and go work there? Right. Because you've over the years have dedicated your life to helping people build their visions and have joined different missions along the way. So how do you think about that starting a business versus joining a business? Yeah, great. Thanks. You're absolutely right. I mean, where and how we invest our time is and deploy our talents is probably one of the most important choices we get to make. And I'm a big believer, depending on where you are in your career, your journey, I'm a big believer in learning from others. So I have bias because that's what I did personally. And I was incredibly influenced by great mentors. So some people confuse working for what are great named companies um, with working for great people. And I really would encourage you anyone listening who's thinking about career and career choices, do you work for someone who cares about you and will inspire you and mentor you and support you? Because mentorship changed my life. I have had three incredible mentors along the way that have just been fundamental to helping me succeed in in my personal goals. So one is surround yourself with great people, no matter where you go, whether you're creating an organization as an entrepreneur or working in one. And I think development and training are just absolutely essential. I don't think they're given enough kind of weight in people's decision of where to go these days, but get everything you can from an organization, from a training and development perspective, get yourself prepared, give yourself all the tools you need, because as you both know, the world is a fluid and challenging place. And the more resources you have available, the more experience you've had, the more likely you are to to come through it with flying colors. So I love this spirit of entrepreneurship that has blossomed across our country. And I love listening to especially younger and talented people who who have a vision and a drive. And I would never hold them back, but but I would encourage them to think about being ready, being well prepared, and and have they built the network of sponsors and mentors and have they got the right tools and the toolkit to go out and seize the day. That's great advice. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on Sakara and just what got you excited to join. I think there's so much that we get to talk about that our Sakara lights never really get to hear about mission, vision, values, and all the work that we do. So from your vantage point, what got you excited to join us on our mission? Well, I first met you a number of years ago and I honestly didn't know a lot about Sakar at the time. I remember our conversation vividly and energetically. I mean, it was just such an inspiring conversation. And I think you had just actually closed your first round of, of funding. And I was a little disappointed, frankly, not to be involved. So I left there going, oh, that's too bad. That's a great company with tremendous leaders and hope one day to reconnect. And lo and behold, fate would have it that we reconnected. And I'm so glad we did, as I've really come to know both of you and the organization and the values and principles of SCAR in the last 12 to 18 months. I really believe you're on to something powerful and purposeful and transformational. And it starts with your own personal stories and what you both experienced. And 
the truth and the authenticity in that is just palpable. And it's infused in, in all the decision-making in the business. It guides you. I've had the pleasure to watch you wrestle with different questions, and it guides you throughout, and it guides the team. And so you've built really a, a well-aligned spirit within the company that's pervasive. And so we talk about the S factor and this notion of spirit. And I'm a big believer that that spirit is incredibly powerful. And it, it's an X factor that others don't have or an S factor that others don't have. One of our values. Yeah. And therefore, I can't put my finger on it, but you've created it. And it is beautiful. And not only that, but I listen to how consumers respond to the brand, the way you put such care into each of the products that you develop and offer, and even how you struggle with making the brand and the business more accessible to more consumers so you can do more good. I love that. I love that that notion. And we have to overcome that in time. We have to keep working on that. So for me, it's been highly energizing to be close to this business and to see what lies ahead because I think the potential of this business is is unrivaled. I think it's there isn't a limit to it as far as I can see. And and it's being led by the right set of, of values and a great team now. So it's been fun. Thank you for having me on board and along for the ride. <laughs> I feel like that's such a beautiful way to end the podcast. Well, we have loved having you on the Sakara Life podcast today, and we absolutely love having you as our board chair and involved in Sakara and reminding us to be better leaders and lead with purpose every single day. So thank you for your time and your thoughts and your energy and the love that you put into Sakara. We like to end every podcast with what we call light work, which is a practice or perhaps a challenge, something to give our listeners to help them put into practice what we've talked about today and help them shine their lights a little brighter. So we'd love for you to share a light work with our listeners. Great. What I'd love to suggest is work on conscious consumerism. So everyone has the power to be a positive consumer. So I'd offer kind of three different ways to do that. One is to actively support a company that lives the values that you hold. And if you want to learn more about businesses that live that, benefit corporations and other, you can research what it means to be a benefit corp. But support them. Uh, go out and actively purchase something from them. Advocate for them. Share with your friends your belief in companies that are doing good. And then put it on social media. Follow and like companies that are doing good work. Celebrate. Read their CSR reports, their corporate social responsibility reports, and be an advocate. Every one of us has an incredible social microphone. So use it for good and go out there and tout the companies that you think are doing good work and give them that love and support and, and help them because that's the greatest way that will drive change in the business world. Thanks, John. We look forward to seeing you in our next board meeting, probably before then. <laughs> it's been great being with you both and just a, a moment of you know, celebration for both of you who have just, you know, gone through a life-changing event as new moms. I salute you both as working moms, as leading moms. You haven't missed a beat and I don't know how you do it, but you have my deepest respect and admiration. Mm, thank you so much, John. Thank you for having me on. So grateful for you. We'll talk to you soon. I love that conversation. He's just always so inspiring. And our team always talks about, oh, he should run for president just because <laughs> he's so inspiring. I think yeah. he would get a lot of votes from our team, at least. Yeah, he really is like the purest manifestation of what he speaks to when he talks about mission, vision, and values. Like it's when you hear him speak, it's so clear that he knows what his mission is here and what he's here to do. It's refreshing. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I wanted to give another light work to our listeners. I know his light work was to practice conscious consumerism. I want to add another one, which is to write your own personal mission statement. Writing the mission statement for Sakara was so powerful. And as I mentioned, just having that mission and being clear on it and knowing where that North Star is has been so powerful and meaningful for both Danielle and myself on this journey 
with Sakara and just in our lives. It's brought so much purpose and it gets us through the really hard times. So I'd love for all of you listening to take that time, take that three hours even if you can, like John was saying, to put your thought into what is your mission? We ask each podcast guest that same question when they come onto our podcast, what is your mission here on earth? So would love for you to think about that today, maybe over the weekend, whenever you have a moment to dedicate your time and your thoughts to it, to what drives you. And then if you have a second moment, maybe you have to list some of your values as we talked about and what drives the behaviors then that support those values. We'd love to hear what your mission is. So feel free to write to us, send us a DM, whichever way possible, and we will see you next time. Today's Sakara story is from Melissa in South Carolina. Melissa says, I stumbled upon Sakara through a friend. She truly believed that Sakara would help me see food as nourishment. After being someone who struggled with an unhealthy relationship with food my entire life, I decided to give it a shot. There was something different about the brand. No counting calories, no portion control, no judgment for the body, no numbers, just healing. Love and appreciation for the body. Treating it like it's the only one you have. Treating food as nourishment. Seeing food as tools to live a healthier, fuller, more authentic life. Sakara changed my life because it's helped me stop fearing food. It helped me rebuild my relationship with what I put into my body and the reasons behind it. I now see food as fuel, something to empower me. I can't ever thank you enough for all the healing you've brought into my life. Thank you, Melissa, for sharing that story with us. We're so happy to hear that you're feeling empowered and that we have been part of your journey to repairing that relationship to food and your body and helping you thrive. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com or send us a DM at sakaralife. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. Lights.